Welcome to episode 29 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. It's uh, it's one of those days. I, I couldn't pin down a guest, and uh, I've got a beer in my hand. I've got a what is this? It's a Blind Man Brewing uh, Long Shadows India Pale Ale from uh, some of my old stomping grounds in central Alberta, uh, Lacombe, uh, where my sister and her family live. Uh, so that's what I'll be drinking this episode. Uh, so you just got me, uh, my wife, uh, Sarah, and a few of her friends. Uh, they actually just headed out for an overnight bike pack excursion to Bolton Creek uh, Campground in Peter Lougheed Provincial Park. Uh, those of you that have been following the Tour Divide, uh, Bolton is your first restock opportunity. Um, and with the reroute this year, actually, it's your last restock for a considerably uh, longer, uh, rougher stretch now through uh, up and over the range to the Bull River Valley um, over to Fernie. Um, I actually just got back from the region. I was away scouting the length of the High Rockies Trail from uh, Canmore. Um, a pretty punishing effort. Um, it's it's a not what I would call a single track trail. It's a little bit wider, maybe a double track trail. Uh, goes all the way from the top of White Man Pass, uh, where the divide riders pop out at the, the Goat Creek trailhead. Uh, so it starts there and goes all the way to um, Bolton uh, Creek and actually goes up to Elk Pass and is a p- potential uh, reroute opportunity for uh, when the West Side Road uh, closes. Um, and it sounds like that's something inevitable, uh, that's coming down the pipeline. So anyways, scouted the length of that. And, uh, it was pretty punishing on, uh, the fully rigid new salsa cutthroat bike that I have. Uh, that said the, the, the bike has, has been great. Um, and it's it really opened my eyes to its, uh, potential for divide style riding. Um, for a while there, I was afraid of the, the drop bars. Um, I was afraid it might be too aggressive of a position. Um, but having been on a large now for the last couple of weeks, um, it's been uh, pretty impressive to see, um, you know, how much faster uh, I seem to go. Um, furthermore, uh, my knees, which were a big problem in the 2015 uh, Tour Divide race, uh, they also seem to be tracking better. Um, you know, so a part of this isn't necessarily the bike's fault, uh, the previous bike's fault. You know, part of this just comes down to having a proper, I guess, bike fit or a bike that fits. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the salsa's, salsa's great for, you know, long, wide open gravel stretches. Not so great on the single track, um, but that's okay. It's, it's good to know uh, its, its strengths, uh, but also its, its weaknesses. So I shall hold on to my, fu- uh, uh, to my full suspension. I'm mumbling, I should have a drink here. Okay. So, um, you know, speaking on things that I have learned, um, you know, the great thing about bikepacking is it's kind of this ongoing uh, learning curve. And uh, there never seems to be one right way of uh, doing anything. And, um, you know, I actually found myself on on Mike uh, Dion's uh, Bikepacking Secrets website looking through some of the videos of, you know, Josh and, and Mike Hall and uh, Chris Plesko talking about their setups. And, you know, it's apparent, like, we, you just got to do what works for you. 
And uh, so I thought I'd take this opportunity uh, with me just flying solo today to share 20 of uh, uh, kind of aha moments that I've had as far as uh, what it, when it comes to gear, uh, nutrition, preparation, uh, anything like that. Just my, you know, tricks of the trade, so to speak. 20 things that I've learned. All right, here we go. So number one, and, and these are in no particular order, and uh, trust me, there, there are way more than, than 20 tips I could share. These are, these are just the 20 that came to mind right away. Okay, so number one. Number one is stay away from Gatorade. Um, you know, that, that drink is a mixture of like sugar water and citric acid, and it might taste okay in the moment. Um, but what I found is, is you know, and, and candy to some regard is, you know, those very uh, simple sugar, um, neon flavored products. Uh, they may taste good in the moment, uh, but those things will definitely work against you uh, in the long haul. So to make sure to, you know, if you're if you're looking for a drink, drink water. Um, you know, if you're looking for food, look for whole food options and, and use those simple sugar products sparingly. Uh, but Gatorade in particular the the drink that goes right into your mouth it's not like a candy that you partially chew and swallow um, I find that you really notice uh, the effects of uh, you know the harmful ingredients working against you uh, much more quickly number two get a bike with a larger frame area um, I've kind of come to the realization that the middle triangle is the best area to carry heavier items um, you know, whether that be a, a water bladder, uh, tools, um, or, or food for that matter, everywhere else. So whether it's on the, the seat pack, um, or on your handlebars, um, extra weight there, it just sways and bounces around. So I think, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, an engineer by any speak, but the middle triangle makes the most sense. It's the most stable area. It's not swaying. It's also a lower center of gravity, um, and it's actually one of the main reasons that I switched uh, from the, the Giant Bikes to the Salsa brand because, you know, Salsa, uh, along with a lot of other features like the drop bar, um, has an appreciation for um, mounting bags in that area. Um, and one of, the, one of the reasons I went with a medium, or sorry, a large instead of a medium is, again, just a larger... Uh, triangle space and the fit didn't seem to, to change at all for me. So larger triangle space. Number three, bring a backpack. You know whether you're wearing it all the time or you have it just stuffed um, uh, in one of your other packs. Um, you know an ultra light pack that has barely anything to it um, that you can just throw on is a great way to all of a sudden um, increase your your carrying capacity quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you've ever done the, the divide, the, the southern sections where it's harder to find water, harder to find food, um, and longer stretches in between restock opportunities, um, that backpack uh, will come uh, in handy. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have something like that versus, you know, just having like endless stuff just kind of hanging out of your pockets or uh, dangled off your packs, just swaying in the wind. Um, you know, do it properly. Uh, just get one of those packs that uh, scrunches up to nothing. And uh, like I said, it increases your carrying capacity uh, considerably. Number four, ergon grips, something of that nature, and uh, extra bar tape wrapped around wherever you're holding your hands, however you like to have your hands positioned. Um, 
is a game changer in my opinion. Uh, whenever I see someone with a bike with just standard um, cylindrical grips, I I don't know how their hands will ever make it uh, any distance. Ergon grips, it's it spreads out uh, the load, so the the weight distribution, and uh, furthermore the the amount that you're compressing uh, the various nerves and whatnot in your hands, and um, you know taking that up a level. Something I started doing uh, last year was wrapping my tape or wrapping the bars uh, with extra tape. Um, it doesn't hold up so well on technical terrain, like on technical terrain, sometimes it's nicer to have, uh, you know, less bulk in the grip area. But if you're going for longer tours, which, you know, us bike packers tend to do, having that extra cushier grip, um, honestly, it does wonders for your grip strength and, or certainly not for your grip strength, but, um, the compression and uh, the loss of feeling that inevitably happens uh, with with a lot of us riders, you know. For example, um, you know my the, my last real long serious tour was the Tour Divide, and uh, I think for probably two a good two weeks after the last time I did it, I didn't really have a very good feeling um, or grip strength in my hands. I could barely hold a pencil. It was just, everything was so tight um, and the nerves were just so frayed. So ergon grips, something that spreads out the weight um, and then extra uh, bar tape on those also. Number five, uh, platform pedals and flexible shoes uh, were one of my earlier wins. Um, something that I, you know, I, I realized very early, and, and this comes from having foot injuries. I've got kind of old man feet. I don't have very good padding in my feet, and I've got a lot of uh, frayed nerves. Um, so I had to, out of necessity, really switch to a larger platform and flexible shoes, kind of for, you know, very similar reasons to the Ergon grip and and the extra bar tape, you know, uh, more of a weight distribution and uh, more flexibility in my feet, uh, which causes less hot spots uh, in your toes. So honestly, now whenever I hear of like adult riders complaining of, you know, cramped toes or hot spots, I honestly can't think of why anyone out there wouldn't wear uh, these kind of uh, shoes and pedals. Um, You know, very few of us are, are pro riders, and uh, you know I don't know why folks would have carbon soles or be worrying about their power distribution. I can I can attest to the fact you know having been riding these for uh, now almost four years straight. Uh, so I use the Crank Brothers uh, mallet pedals, and uh, my latest shoes are the Shimano XM7. I believe they are. And uh, they've been awesome. And the last time I, I did the Divide or when I did the Alberta Rocky 700, uh, not a single foot problem at all. And uh, that's that's pretty tremendous. And, you know, I still pull off pretty good times, you know, second place on the Alberta Rockies and then a 19-day finish on the, the Tour Divide. And uh, not once did I feel like I didn't have enough power transferring into the pedal. Um, and if there's any hike a bike in particular on any event or tour you're doing, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about power uh, transfer, okay? Worry about keeping your feet happy. They're turning thousands of revolutions. Um, you know, for, for us, the, this is more of a recreation or a hobby. Um, I honestly, I don't know why you'd be wearing a stiffer shoe. 
Um, let's see here. I should have a drink. Okay, so platform pedals number six. Uh, biggest weight savings I found over the years is uh, switching to a rigid carbon fork. Uh, we're talking pounds difference versus uh, the sp- suspension on the front. Uh, granted, a lot of that will have to do with uh, the type of terrain you're riding. So, you know, a rigid fork, like on the High Rockies, for example, it might not be realistic, but if you're looking to save weight in the long run, uh, that will do wonders. Uh, the quality of your wheels, um, is, is a big difference, is a game changer for a lot of folks. And uh, something that I've kind of just wrapped my head around this last year is, is how much water you carry. Um, and, and I appreciate when saying that, that that's kind of like a fine line to say, like, you know, uh, obviously carrying less water is, uh, is, a, is a weight savings. But, you know, if you're a veteran rider of a particular route and you have a pretty good handle of the water sources, if you can say get away with taking two liters and know where to fill up, um, you know, all you have to do is hold up two water bottles or three water bottles for that matter. And like you, you get a pretty good sense of like, imagine just carrying that weight over mountain passes for hours on hours and never really needing it because there was a stream right there you could have filled up on. So not necessarily a recommended strategy for the, the, the rookie rider, but if you're, like I said, if you're a veteran rider of a route, um, taking less water might actually be uh, not a bad strategy. Number seven, um, I learned this a couple of years ago, uh, never sleep in your kit. Um, even if it's like just a two, three hour stop, um, even if you just roll your, your uh, shorts down to your knees, uh, don't take them off uh, totally. You never want to sleep in it. You, you want to give that nether region time to breathe, uh, time to, to dry out to some extent, and um, uh, an opportunity to really clean that area. Uh, in the 2015 Tour Divide, uh, when we got to Butts Patrol Cabin in the Flathead Valley, uh, the few of us that got there, I slept in my kit. It was like midnight. Uh, we got going again at 3 in the morning. And for the next, I want to say at least a week, I had terrible saddle sores. Um, and that totally could have been avoided um, from from just that, you know, rolling down my shorts, like I said. So never sleep in your kit. Uh, number eight. Let, let me get a drink here. Number eight. Okay, know how to sift through the clutter. Um, speaking... More specifically to online clutter, um, folks tend to sensationalize problems. Um, You know, I saw this when I was getting ready for races. I saw this from running tours. Um, You just, anytime anyone tells you a story of like a bear encounter, 99% of the time, it's always a grizzly. And it's always an encounter. Um... For the sake of uh, for argument and to maybe I'll, I'll probably annoy a few of the genuine folks out there. I bet most of those encounters are a bear that's 100 yards away, a small bear that just scampers into the bush before you even have a chance to take your camera out. So don't don't sensationalize things because it's like the telephone game. It only gets worse as as the story gets passed down through through riders and especially for rookie riders. Um, you can just see the anxiety build up. So if it's a grizzly, 
fine. But if it's just a small brown bear, you know, just call for what it is. Don't make some dramatic uh, story out of it, okay? So know how to sift through the clutter. Uh, Number nine, go tubeless. Um, Why all mountain bikes don't come with uh, tubeless wheels? And and I I don't have any stats to to tell you what percentage of them still come normal or uh, don't come tubeless. Um, I'm not entirely sure. But tubeless should be the the standard, uh, should be the norm. Um, Why you would start an event in particular with tubes in your tires, um, there is no strategy behind that. Um, Take the time, learn how to go tubeless, uh, still carry tubes uh, in case you run into problems. But uh, go tubeless is, is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. And uh, I think where I first, you know, where it first really clicked up for me was um, I went and raced the marathon world championship. So mountain bike race over in Italy and uh, got three punctures within the first hour and pretty much walked the whole, uh, I think it was like a hundred plus kilometer course. So I went all the way to Italy to learn that I should have gone tubeless uh, from the beginning. There's no strategy in using tubes to begin with. Take time, learn how to do it. It's not that tough. Uh, There's conversion kits um, on top of also the wheels that you can buy that are already uh, tubeless ready. Number 10, uh, prepare your lungs for harder efforts. So one thing that's pretty consistent, um, granted, I, I haven't really heard it come out of the, the pack this year, the Tour Divide pack, um, which I'm actually kind of surprised by. Um, but one of the common issues you hear about is people having breathing issues. And there's a, kind of a variety of, of reasons that, it, you know, riders will, will, will kind of attribute this to. Um, but my own anecdotal um, issues with breathing and coughing up phlegm for the first couple of weeks um, is is what I think it's attributed to quite often is we don't train our lungs to go that hard. Um, so whether you plan to or not, most of us go harder than we want to off the start uh, for bikepacking events. And the reality is, is that when we're training, uh, quite often our efforts are longer and slower uh, we're not challenging ourselves to do uh, sprints or intervals where we're huffing and puffing. Um, so all of a sudden, to be th- thrust into an effort where you're you're huffing and puffing, it's 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 hard on your lungs, uh, especially when you're you know you're doing it for possibly 200 plus kilometers. You know your first opening day. Um, so yeah, learning to to you know train your lungs to be able to to sustain that effort. Um, what else? Oh, and, and some other kind of uh, add-ons to that is I think, you, you know, most of us aren't used to lungs breathing in cold air for 200 kilometers. They're not used to breathing in dust for that length of time. Um, so it's it's a bit of a, a rude awakening for the lungs. So you, long story short, you need to kind of um, not only acclimatize to elevation, but also acclimatize to a harder effort right off the go. Um, in regards to training, number 11, the best way to train for bikepacking um, is to bikepack. So to do multi-day um, outdoor efforts. Um, you need to, uh, and, and I think we've chatted about this in, in past podcasts, but you need to not just get your legs accustomed to spinning around for hours on end, but you need to get used to kind of the rhythms of the day. 
you know, sun, uh, the elements, rain, snow, um, and kind of an overlooked uh, item is is what it's like to to sleep on the ground, um, and, and just you know have an uncomfortable sleep. Like I don't know of many people that have comfortable sleeps, uh, especially in the, the first couple weeks of, or first week or two of the the divide. It takes a while to kind of get used to that experience. So the best way to train for bike packing is to to bike pack. Um, that said. If all you do is uh, bicycle training, um, that will not correct any imbalances that you have um, created for yourself over the years. And and I learned that firsthand with my legs. So uh, further to the bikepacking, also have the discipline to cross train uh, or weight train uh, to try to correct those imbalances. And uh, if if you're wondering how how do you know if you have imbalances or, you know, strength imbalances in particular, um, all you really need to do, honestly, is uh, just find an open space and and try to do a squat. Can you do a squat without, you know, falling over? Uh, Can you do several squats without falling over? Does it feel natural? Um, And then next, take that uh, a step further and try to balance on one leg. You know, does balancing on your right leg feel the same as balancing on your left leg? And, you know, we all have imbalances, but it's, it's good to understand or appreciate how extreme those imbalances might be. So the only way to correct that really is through cross-training and focused resistance training. Time for another drink. Here we go. Number 12. Actually, that's pretty good beer. I like that. Long Shadows India Pale Ale. Cool-looking bottle, too. Number 12. Develop mind games for yourself. Um, so some folks that I've chatted with um, that are, are at the front of the pack, um, they have ADD, and sometimes that works for them because they can just uh, zone out. Um, I don't. Um, and so my problem is sometimes is that I start to think too much. And when you start to think too much, sometimes you start to think too much about how far to the next stop, how far beyond that. You start to think you know, how long it's going to take you to get to New Mexico or, or wherever. And that just the, the, the anxiety can and wear you down. Um, so I develop little mind games for myself. Um, in a previous podcast, I think I talked about, um, you know, just the simple act of telling yourself to smile. That's one of my go-to tricks for 24-hour races. Um, every lap, you know, I just find some spot to just kind of just smile and appreciate kind of how goofy this moment can be like i'm racing a bike for for 24 hours straight like why why did i sign up for this like it's it can it can be funny or you can make it painful on yourself so i choose to try to make it funny so develop mind games uh one of my classic go-tos for longer bike packing events uh, especially ones that i've done previously is to um uh, like one hour, what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to think back to the last time I did the event. Where did I camp out each time? Um, so, you know, like for the first tour divide that I did, it took me 21 days. So to think through all 21 days where I camped, was it in a motel? Was it a bivy? You know, where was it located? Um, just trying to remember all 21 stops. And, you know, this was now four years or five years ago you know, that can easily eat up an hour. 
Once that time passes, well, maybe try to think about uh, where did you eat um, each of those 21 days? And uh, that's a good way to kind of distract your mind um, from any kind of pain or anxiety uh, that you might be feeling. Number 13. Number 13. Uh, Know how to wrap your Achilles. Um, So we're talking like kinesio tape. Um, an important piece to have in your packs for longer tours. Um, so when I say longer, I would say anything kind of mm, probably in the week or longer. Um, so Achilles is kind of like the injury you never realize you were going to get. And that comes from hike biking. Um, so uh, overstretching the Achilles uh, tendon. So you think about the Hiking up uh, like the wall in the Flathead Valley, for example, your Achilles is overstretched and you do that enough and you cause inflammation and a lot of pain and uh, uh, knowing how to wrap your Achilles is, is, is a lifesaver. Uh, trust me. Uh, like I said, the injury you never realized you were going to get. Um, number 14 um, it, it's funny because I still really haven't learned my lesson and, and to some extent I, I'm at the whim of, of what I can afford and what I have at my disposable. Uh, but in an ideal world, um, if you're, if you're taking a camera, um, don't pack the most expensive camera, uh, pack the one you will use. Um, so we have a Canon 60D with a larger lens and uh, we took that to take nice video and nice pictures. And uh, my only other option is my, my iPhone at the moment. So when I did the Arizona Trail uh, last year, um, I, I took the Canon 60D. And I kid you not, I, I may have pulled it out uh, less, than, less than 10 times uh, the entire, well, I think it was almost two weeks that I was out there. And it, it's it's a joke when you realize how heavy it is, uh, you know the chargers and everything that you're taking, and it's it's honestly it's because it wasn't convenient. Um, it's not in my pocket to pull out at a moment's notice, um, which you know which the iPhone very much is. Um, so I always have it in my back pocket, ready to go, uh, you know for for when that grizzly might pop out of the bushes or um, you know that fantastic sunset. But the the overarching point here is. Uh, don't pack the most expensive camera, pack the one you will use. And, uh, yeah, it might not have the most megapixels or, or, or whatever, but if you're more inclined to use it, um, like when I talk to folks about sport nutrition, then, then do it. Don't necessarily use, uh, the fanciest gadget. Uh, sorry, I'm getting into a habit of having a sip every time I, uh, go to a new point here. It's good beer. Uh, number 15, resist, resist the urge to overeat when you get to towns. Uh, so racing or touring, um, it's taken me a couple of years to, to, to really learn this. And it, and it takes some self-control because, you know, if you're anything like me, um, you only can carry enough for about a day and a half as far as, as food and, uh, you know, bars and things like that. And, Chances are, in that last couple of hours, you're you're already thinking ahead to what's in the town and uh, feeding your face, gorging. Um, but 
that never works out for me. Um, you know, whether it's in the morning stuffing huge cinnamon roll in my face and pancakes and, uh, you know, everything that looks tasty on the menu. Um, almost always within the next hour, um, you know, I'm laying on the side of the trail in a food coma. Um, so exercising some self-control in, yes, loading up your packs, um, but only eating till you're satisfied. Um, because like I said, yeah, you, you don't want, there's no, there's no strategy in stuffing your face because your, your body is not like this, um, uh, sponge that can just absorb endless amount of calories. At some point it just builds up as bulk that one's going to give you a cramp. Uh, two is going to give you a food coma and, uh, three is just going to sit there like a brick in your stomach. So exercise some control, uh, before you get to town and, um, if possible, have a bit of a strategy as far as what you're going to pick up when you get to town. Number 16. Um, I'm not 100% on this one, um, but it seems to be kind of the norm and it seems to be working for me. Um, I'm not sure if I would be having a better quality of sleep with it, which you know is a factor to consider, but you don't necessarily need a sleeping pad. And it's something I've been playing around with for the last year. Um, sleeping pads, you know, if you get a kind of a higher end blow up one, uh, they couldn't quite often pack down to, to almost nothing, but nothing is still bigger than a fist, possibly two fists in a pack that's already limited in space. And I have found that you can get away without a sleeping pad. Um, if you are intelligent about your sleep spots, so, you know, looking for grassy, uh, you know, grassy spots that are, are sheltered, that aren't wet, um, it can be done. And uh, like I said, I, I, I started probably in May last year on the Arizona Trail. Um, and yeah, I've been doing it all through this year with without any problem. It's funny, I when I was up at Bolton Creek um, a couple days ago, I had the option of uh, staying in the campground. Um, and I was like, oh, I could make a fire and, you know, go have a shower or whatever. Um, I actually opted not to stay in the campground because I didn't have my sleeping pad. And uh, I knew I would have a terrible sleep because any established campsite, um, if you look at it from the perspective of not using a pad, they're, they're flat level spots that are often um, terribly uncomfortable. They're, they're packed down. There's no cushion at all. So um, I actually opted to go uh, further down the road outside of a park, I should, ma- I should mention, and uh, just wild camp, just find some grass uh, among some trees. And um, I was totally comfortable, no concerns whatsoever. Yeah, so you don't need a pad. Um, okay. Number 17. This one I have not mastered. Um, but I very much know it as pretty well fact. So for the racers of the group, um, there's no one way to win these races. And, you know, just speaking with Josh, uh, for the last podcast, Josh Cato, um, you know, uh, he, he touched on it briefly during and, and through conversation before he had no particular strategy. It's very much kind of take it as it comes, um, feel things out for the first couple of days, settle into rhythm and, and, you know, and hope for the best really. Um, 
But there is one kind of standard as far as these ultra races go. And that is if your alarm goes off and you don't immediately get up, um, you've, you've already lost the race. Um, the, at the sharp end of this stick or these sticks, the people winning these events are the, the people that really don't sleep you know, for the first few days uh, or sleep very little. And it is surprisingly difficult to get out of a sleeping bag when you're warm and it is cold outside and it is dark. Um, but that is the person that wins the race. Um, at, at the top end, a lot, of, a lot of folks have the same or similar physical conditioning. They have similar gear. It's, it's the time off the bike, uh, primarily sleeping, that, um, that they've mastered. So, yeah. And uh, I know it, but I'm not an expert at it. But if your alarm goes off and you don't immediately get up, you've already lost the race. Okay. Something you have to keep in mind if you if you want to be a contender at these sort of things, and it's very difficult. It's very tough to do. Uh, like I said, especially if the sun's not up. Uh, next point. Where are we here? Number eighteen. Um, it, it may be a little self-serving, um, but last year I got away from. Um, using my earbuds or music at all. Um, I found music actually quite distracting on the 2015 Tour Divide um, because even though I downloaded probably, I don't know, over 100 songs and new albums, um, it gets old quicker than you would think. And it's, it's hard in the moment, especially when you're someone like me that has a hard time zoning out, you, you start cycling through your music trying to find the right song and you that that, that playlist of like a hundred songs now becomes like ten songs that you are your go-to which then become kind of old so I got away from music last year um, having anything in my earbuds something that I've tried this year which again like I said might be a little self-serving um, but I've actually found podcasts as a as a more engaging thing to have on my uh, iTunes and my my iPhone uh, than music. So conversation, learning about things. Uh, not to say that that strategy necessarily works at, at two in the morning, uh, but uh, throughout the day, I find podcasts more engaging than music. Something to consider. Number nineteen. Um, every piece of gear should have at least a season of wear. Um, you have to accept the fact that you're never truly going to know what is the better option as far as gear choices, you know, one tire over the other, uh, until you've experienced it uh, firsthand. Um, you know, you go to forums. Uh, there, There is advice on forums to some degree, but a lot of it's um, anecdotal um, and you know, everyone rides different bikes, everyone's a different body type, everyone's riding in different conditions. Um, so the variables aren't really controlled. So ultimately, you have to, like I said before, you have to learn to kind of sift through the clutter to a few options, but ultimately realize that you can't show up to the start of a tour or the, to the start of the event with gear that's not tested. And uh, you should test it for at least a season 
And, uh, and, and like I said, uh, honestly, if you, if you're afraid of the gear wearing out, um, if, if it wears out in one season, it's probably not worth its weight. Um, but something to also appreciate is, um, you know, gear is meant to be used. Um, and I learned that firsthand from, uh, one of my mentors, Bruce Kirkby, you know, quite often we're accustomed to buying fancy, expensive gear and then, uh, protecting it like a baby puppy. But this stuff's meant to be used in the battlefield. So use it for at least a year. And if it wears out, fine, buy a new thing. But at least you know what you need to, to have at the start line. Um, and that only comes comes through experience. Someone can't tell you what the right tire is for you, what the right bike is, right? what the right packs are. You have to figure that out for yourself. And um, yeah, at least a season of wear. Number 20. Okay. <laughs> I, I debated putting this one down and it's kind of funny because I've got a beer in my hand right now. And I, I, I appreciate that it might come off as, as an alcoholic, but honestly, I don't drink that often. I have maybe a beer or two a week, but it dawned on me last week. So this is kind of an untested theory, but it's an interesting theory nonetheless. Um, I mentioned before that I have some issues with, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but it's, it's the word I'm going to use. So during an event, I, I reference those folks that have, you know, ADD or are just able to, to zone out. And uh, that, that is actually a pretty strong strategy for some. For me, I start thinking about things too much. Um, and you know, uh, the miles don't tick by very quickly. I become hyper aware of, uh, problems that my bike's facing problems that my body's facing. And I never really settle into a groove and it's very taxing, uh, on the mind to, to, to always be, like I said, hyper focused, um, hour after hour after hour, you never really relax and just settle down and, and breathe. So a theory that I'm playing around with, and I don't recommend it, but a theory is that beer and or weed, and I have no experience with weed, not, I've never tried it once, may in fact be a strategy for people with high anxiety. Um, you know, I've, I've heard of people on the divide, um, you know, experimenting with weed and no surprise there. Like it's kind of goes hand in hand with a certain demographic in the, the mountain bike community. But last week I actually started thinking about it from a strategy standpoint for, for folks that have high anxiety or are hyper-focused to, to get into a state where you're not drunk or you're not totally incapacitated, but you achieve a, a buzz to some extent where you can dull that um, that focus, but still be able to function uh, pedaling. I'm intrigued by. Don't don't take this as is is you know I'm gonna have a beer in my my pack every time I'm riding. I just I want to put it out there as 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 something to consider. Um, you know if you're if you're as a way to dull pain um, and to dull uh, anxiety and to ultimately have a better ride overall. Again, not an advocate for weed or beer, but I want to bring it up because it's nonetheless something that I've uh, been considering as possible uh, strategy. 
how you implement those things, weed, I have no clue. I have no clue when is the best time to smoke, how long, you know, that particular buzz, buzz lasts. Beer, I, I have a, a decent understanding. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that came to me after I finished my uh, a scout last week, uh, or, sorry, two weeks ago. It was like a three, four-day scout and finished back in Canmore and uh, met Sarah down at the Legion and it was a day where it was a longer day. I was hot. I was sore. Um, I kept thinking about my saddle sores, how this hurt, how that hurt. And uh, we met down in town at the Legion and uh, had a pint. And, uh, you know, not having had enough food or water lately, I, I felt the buzz a bit sooner. And uh, on our seven-kilometer ride home, um, I was very intrigued by the fact that I didn't feel that anxiety or that pain that I had in the, 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 the kilometers beforehand. And, uh, yeah, so that's where that idea came from is, is to think of that as, as possible strategy. And, um, you know, it sounds weird or, or, or unconventional, but, uh, you know, like a lot of these things at the sharp end of the stick, it's, it's the unconventional thoughts that, uh, lead people to victory i think <laughs> and i don't think beer or weed is going to lead anyone to victory um but it might help for a day or two so something i'm considering all right there you have folks uh 20 kind of aha moments or things that i've learned like i said there's a lot more uh to be learned uh but yeah that's where we'll leave it uh what are the top three lessons that you've learned Please add a comment to wherever you see this podcast posted, uh, whether it's on bikepack.ca, there's a, there's a comment section, um, on iTunes or uh, Facebook or Instagram, leave a comment. Um, and, uh, the more unique, the better. And, uh, like I said, I, I didn't want to include the beer thing because it was kind of untested, but it's, it's nonetheless unique and it's a point of discussion. So if you've got something unique like that, please uh, post it and, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll make for an interesting discussion point. All right, cool. Back to the dot stocking we go. Uh, trackleaders.com. Uh, hope everyone on the divide routes uh, having a safe and uh, hopefully more enjoyable ride now that it looks like folks are, are past a lot of the, the rain and mud. All right, thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>